welcome to Solving for B, your podcast for all things branding and marketing. In this episode, the Brand Extract team explores the impacts branding and sales have on one another. They're joined by special guest speaker, Catherine Brown, author of the book, How Good Humans Sell, The Proven Path to B2B Sales Success. Catherine has over 25 years of B2B experience and runs the sales training firm, Extra Bold Sales. There, she coaches sales teams on how to sell with confidence. So sit back and enjoy this edition of Solving for B with Brand Extract. Hi, and welcome into Solving for B. I'm your host, Chris Wilkes, and I'm really excited about today's episode because today we're covering a topic that I don't think gets enough discussion. We're talking about the impact that brands and sales have on one another. To help me break that down, I'm excited to be joined by author, speaker, and founder of Extra Bold Sales, Catherine Brown. Thank you so much. I'm really excited about this opportunity. Awesome. Great great to have you. And then we're also joined uh, by chairman of Brand Extract, Jonathan Fisher. Hey, Chris. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me back. Awesome. Uh, so, so thanks for joining us today, guys. Um, so I want to start by introducing Catherine. Uh, I mentioned at the top that she's a speaker, author, and founder. But uh, Catherine, tell our audience a little bit more about you and your background and maybe kind of how, uh, how you got to where you are today. Super. Thank you. I think that for the broad audience from all these different industries that probably listen to you, Chris, the, the most salient points about my background are that as a career recruiter turned sales professional, I've had the opportunity to sell into almost every conceivable industry. <laughs> and I know that sounds crazy, but for over 15 years prior to starting my current sales training firm, I actually had a lead generation prospecting company. So people would hire my sales contractors who to be white labeled, to sound like them, look like them, have their email addresses, but they were contractors and they would prospect for other companies. And we served a couple hundred companies over 15 years. And the things that I learned from that are what informed my conviction and desire to start a sales training firm. Because a lot of people who have been in sales a while might think, why do you need another sales training firm? Or why do you need another book about sales? Because there's a lot of sales systems out there. But there were some patterns that transcended all industries that I started to see that I felt like I was uniquely equipped to address. And so um, I, I love selling. I think it is an honorable and important profession. And I like helping people in as many industries as possible to enjoy it more and be more successful with it. Awesome. Well, well, we are excited to have you uh, join us today. Um, so, so let's dive in. I want to dive into the meat of the topic. Um, and, and the first thing I want to start with is, is that there's often a negative stigma with sales, right? I think you call it, you know, you mentioned in, I think in your book that uh, it can be, a, people think of it as a little icky. Um, why is that misguided? Why is that, that not the case? That is a great question. And I think that I have to say Unfortunately, it's not always misguided, right? Yeah. <laughs> it is, it's actually an earned accusation still. And its current biggest source of abuse is probably, um, you know, you don't have to spend very much time on LinkedIn to see people complain about 
the solicitations they're getting in their email, right? Cold solicitations that don't feel valuable, that don't feel personalized. So all of that behavior continues to heap onto this stereotype, which depending on the age you are, you might've grown up reading Death of a Salesman in school and then hearing Tommy Boy and always be closing and all these different expressions that even though we poke fun at some of those things, um, people are not coming in droves to join the sales profession, right? Most people that you interview will say, well, I fell into it because it unfortunately does have, um, in some cases, it deserves to be criticized. On the other hand, there's so many things that are beautiful, wonderful, and purposeful about it. And those are the those are the parts I like to explore so that people have some tools to reframe how they think about selling since it's essential to business. Yeah. <laughs> it's essential, right? Yeah. You know, I, lo- I love that approach um, because, because yeah, like you said, it's sometimes an earned and sometimes not earned, but but the way that you discuss sales and the way that you you position sales is like we're we are helping folks, right? And that's that is a noble, that is a a you know as your as your book says like good human sell, right? Good human, and that's those are effective. Those those in my opinion are the most effective salesmen. Um, so I, I I I love that that kind of reframing of it or, or um, approach to it. And I want to talk certainly talk more about that. Um, I do want to ask a little bit about. Um, the relationship between your brand or a brand and their sales strategy or their sales support. Um, how, how do those two things align or do they align? I love that topic. So there's so many things we can say about this. I'll get us started, but I'm hoping Jonathan, you know, add to it. Cause I know he has so much experience also in selling. Um, when, I'll start us out by saying when a business is not well known by their corporate brand, because they're literally a startup or very early stage, then even though we do everything we can as quickly as possible to start to establish a corporate professional brand, if you are selling, and especially if you're the owner seller, right, who is in a dual role in an early stage, then you're probably earning the right to be heard and getting those sales calls booked because of your own personal professional brand, right? It's your own credibility as a person and how you present because you don't have a lot of history with case studies and social proof that is corporate-based, but then things start to change and those interplay more as companies get bigger. what, what, What do you think about that? I think that tends to evolve. Yeah, I think it depends upon the awareness and the brand equity that's in the marketplace. I work a lot with professional service firms and others. And one of the things I love to ask the salespeople that are in those those groups when we're talking with them about their brand is, were you excited to join this organization? You know, and they'll always say, yes, I was. And that tells you how much equity there is in the marketplace for that brand, because I think it's sort of a symbiotic relationship between corporations, brand, and the individual's personal brand. And I think both can lift each other in that process. You know, you see, you know, I'll use a sports analogy. You see a sports team go out and get a celebrity, you know, player for their team. And suddenly everybody thinks the team's going to be better, right? Vice versa. So, or you see, you know, uh, a young player joining an organization that has a great reputation and you think, oh man, that, that, that player's cachet just went up 
you know, personally for them. So I do think there's this very symbiotic relationship um, that you have to manage on both sides of the equation that that Catherine is is brought up here in that process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that that symbiotic relationship, I it it I, I would assume it cuts both ways, right? Like if if you are a a a bad actor or or one of those quote unquote icky salesmen, and you're representing a a, a brand that is is revered and, and and thought of well, I assume that that's going to start to chip away a little bit at the brand. Is that would you guys say that that's also true? I think when we were preparing uh, to do this podcast, Jonathan brought up the example with Enron, right? <laughs> like, yeah, talk about going both ways, right? Like, isn't wasn't that person harmed? And then, and then vice versa, right? There were a few bad actors that will, um, some of them are no longer with us, right? But some will struggle to get work for the rest of their life. And then the name is synonymous now with tragedy, right? Or disaster. And um, I'm also thinking too about what it's like when someone who is that sales professional and they go from place to place, sometimes the company benefits because that person brings the clients with them. Right. Or the very fact that they align themselves with the brand. If it's a brand, a corporate brand that their the, the salesperson's former customers haven't heard of, they will then think, wow, this must be good. They wouldn't have gone to work for them and they wouldn't be selling for them if, if it weren't good because they have, like you said, so much trust built up. Jonathan. It's interesting. I see that too. Yeah, I think Chris, your point and Catherine's point just now, I think what builds brands on a personal level and to an extent on a corporate level is that the impressions are formed over and over again through the experiences. And when the experiences are all positive, great salespeople, Johnny on the spot, super responsive, very polite, very empathetic, whatever it might be for their particular role that they're in. When those are delivered consistently and professionally, then that person's going to take away and associate that reputation accordingly. And what erodes a brand is the inconsistency of that process, right? Because that's what a brand is at the end of the day, is a promise. And as to the degree you fulfill those promises as a corporation with your product, with your quality, with your service, whatever it might be, um, your reputation goes up. Your reputation goes down when you don't. Mm-hmm. And so I think that you know, that's the importance of, you know, from a, from a brand's organization is to align those expectations with the salespeople's roles and their activities and their behaviors and vice versa. I think the salespeople have to be very careful when taking on these new roles with these new organizations, because, you know, especially if you're a new salesperson, you might be promising one thing and find out the company can't really deliver it. Yes. You know, and nobody wants to be over promised and undersold, you know, it's always under promise and over deliver. <laughs> Yes, you know, yes, it's, exactly. it's, the, it's the best place to be, you know, oh, wow, yeah. wow, I get this too. And it's, I wasn't expecting that. I'm so happy. You know, I, I just had an experience yesterday uh, with a company here in town and I, I made a sizable purchase about $7,000 worth of goods. And they promised me something. And in return, I got a call from corporate office two days later saying, oh, sorry, uh, they misspoke. We're not going to be able to deliver on that. Um, and, and, oh, and by the way, we're going to take 40% off the promise that we, we initially offered you. Wow. I'm like, well, I would not have made the purchase if that was the case. And they were not 
other than just mildly apologetic, just said, oh, sorry, they, they, they just told you the wrong thing. And I'm like, that doesn't work for me. You have my money at this point. We're going to have to come up with something better. You know, they were and, explaining and you thought they should be horrified. <laughs> I know. Yeah, they, they, they were not empathetic at all. And to the point where I wasn't rude about it or mean about it or raised my voice. But I kept I kept sort of like, you know, describing the situation to this woman on the phone. And, and eventually she conceded and said, well, I think we can do a little better than this. And then she came up and kind of met me in the middle where they needed to be. But it was like I was surprised at how hard I had to work. So in my mind, that's not an inconsequential activity now. And I'm pretty disappointed with this brand. And, and by the way, classic rule of thumb, and I'll use a restaurant analogy. That's an old school analogy. Is that when you have a great experience at a restaurant, you might tell three or four people. When you have a bad experience, you might tell 10 people. Now, in today's world of social media, you can multiply that with many zeros yeah. <laughs> on the end of it, right? Because yeah. a tweet can go viral. But it's surprising to me how many companies are not sensitive to those experiences and how easily they are shared positively or negatively in today's environments. I mean, back in the 90s, understandable, right? But in the, in the 2000s, when everything kicked off in the, in the, in, with social media, and by today's standards, 20 years later, you would think every action would be closely, closely monitored and managed because you manage a brand. That's what we tell clients these days. You don't control a brand because you can't control what other people do. And That's, say. Right. That's right. So you manage your brand. And those conversations will happen with or without you. So you might as well be in the game and yep. pay attention to those processes and procedures and rules of engagement. So I think Catherine probably has a lot to say about sales training when it comes to those rules of engagement. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and also, Jonathan, if it's okay to take the conversation this way, one of the things that I'm becoming increasingly passionate about is for every salesperson that I get to work with to recognize the power for good that they have with their individual professional brand on behalf of whomever they're representing and also for themselves in a, by being proactive using social media. And I, I am pretty surprised actually what a small percent of salespeople take advantage of what they could be doing. I'm mostly talking about LinkedIn here, right? Mostly it's sure. me, LinkedIn, or my clients. I read recently, and you all can tell me if this is true, but I read recently that said that 90% of all the people on LinkedIn are, uh, like all the people who have, who have a profile, 90% don't do anything at all. That, um, yeah, that's 10%, 10 are engaged um, by likes and comments and 1% post. And yeah, I mean, for individuals, yeah, I think that's probably, right, for probably a fair assessment, so, estimation. Right. And so if you are a 1% poster as a sales professional, whether it's your own company or you're an employee for someone else, to me, I know we're talking about large numbers here, but there's still just an extraordinarily huge opportunity to stand out among peers and competitors by having even an occasional thoughtful post in about thought leadership in your domain. And I find it shocking how little people do. And at most, 
at best, those one percenters, uh, let me rephrase that. I don't mean at best, but often what I'll see it within that 1% is the salesperson sharing the company post that was shared, which is often product marketing driven. And it's not even veering into a, their personal opinion or um, something that's trending, you know, like just nationally and how this right. ties to innovation or, or, you know, industry news. It's, in my opinion, it's not that hard to add value and grow your professional brand um, for the benefit of all the companies who follow you. And yet it's still happening so little, even 20 years into this. So here's a tip, people. Follow Catherine and do what she does. <laughs> <laughs> She's a rock star. One of the things I I'll, I'll give Catherine another plug by all seriousness here. Catherine, one of the things I love to do when that that you love to do in your post, which is you actually tag other people when you make your post. Mm-hmm. You know, your your stuff will constantly pop up in my inbox. Hey, Jonathan, like you know, like why is she tagging me? <laughs> so, and, and but, so let's let's close the loop on that. I mean, I am doing my best to be thoughtful and tag you when, based on something I know about you, I think that you will have an additional. Oh point of view to add. So it's important to say for our listeners, we're not randomly tagging people. Yesterday, my tag, my post this morning tagged the three people that I was in a discussion with yesterday in a public forum Mm -hmm. that I knew that they enjoyed it and that they um, wanted to continue the conversation. And I wanted to highlight them to my followers. And so I specifically referenced yesterday's conversation. So it's, you know, it's not just, you know, random or going through the alphabet but I am, a, I am a pretty assertive tagger. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you know, a, a good salespeople always pay it forward, right? They always give before they get. That's a philosophy that I was taught early in life. Um, and so when you are giving of others and raising awareness of others in the marketplace, they will reciprocate, right? And so that it's kind of the virtual world of referring these days mm-hmm. um, that's out there. Um, and also brands are built by association not just from within the organization, but the organization that, and how they choose to behave in the, as good corporate citizens in the marketplace. And it's the same for personal brands, right? Look at the whole Epstein's you know, debacle right now. Who did he hang out with? Well, <laughs> you're in enough photos with Epstein, your brand's probably going to suffer a little bit. you know. So, so personal brands are built through association, just the way professional brands are built through association. And both brands are built through referrals, because referrals is almost always the number one best practice, lowest cost of customer acquisition and entry for an organization or for a salesperson personally, right? Uh, To go out and get a referral from somebody, be it a client or another professional representative in the industry or colleague or whoever it might be. Those are always going to be much warmer and easier and better than the cold leads that are brought in through the traditional marketing channels that are out there. Um, So, yeah, you know, absolutely. win-win when you follow Catherine's strategies in her book. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and, and I, I'd like to also say, Jonathan, if it's okay, Chris, can we stay on this just a few yeah, moments? Yeah, please, <laughs> please. You guys are you guys are killing it. <laughs> okay, so I like one more thing that is very deliberate on my part that your listeners can do that is about this professional salesperson you know, embodying their, their own brand and being purposeful about cultivating a brand is that one of the exercises I teach people in my coaching is in my classes is that not only do we sell. So one of my propositions is that we always have things we sell. We have products or services we sell. And I like to ask the question, what do you sell? And then people say, oh, we sell these services, this services, we 
do graphic design, we're a management consulting firm, we do blah, 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 great. And then I say, okay, what do you really sell? And that leads into the conversation of addressing prospects' concerns, their motives and values, their status, their personal and professional goals, all those other reasons people buy. Well, this topic of values, just like people will buy based on their values, you have the opportunity as a sales professional to say, how do I believe I'm perceived and how do I want to be perceived? So we have exercises that we do where we say, we get deliberate and say, I actually want to be recognized as a person who is known as X. So part of my tactic, Jonathan, that's part of that tagging on purpose is that I truly enjoy highlighting the successes of people who are in my orbit. I want people who follow me to follow my friends who I think can add value to their life. I do that very easily, very naturally. It's not uh, manufactured. You know, I just wake up thinking of those things. But I actually am very deliberate about saying that I want generosity to be a trademark and hallmark that precedes me and comes behind me. And so that value desire that I want to have for my brand is this reciprocity thing happening, right? Because if I act generously, it does tend to come back that way in the form of referrals, in the form of um, how my circle enlarges and opportunities are created and things like that. But I'm also saying it's on purpose mm-hmm. because I looked at what's easy for me, what I'm good at, just literally how I think God made me, you know, and I look at all of those things together and I say, this is actually the way I want to be known while selling. And other people's doesn't have to be that, by the way, you can be amazing in sales and you can say, I want to be known as the consultant. I want to be known as the listener. I want to be known as um, the expert. Yeah, and, and you, that's, would choose, yeah. you would choose behaviors that go with that in a deliberate way to purposely cultivate your brand. Yeah, and yeah, and that's that. I was going to say that it's your that is you defining your brand, right? That is you taking control of to the extent that you can. Jonathan mentioned that you know you're you're going to be. The end of the day, your brand kind of lives in the mind of your of your audience and the customer, and and that feeling they get when they work with you. But you can work toward being a certain type of brand and and, and projecting that. And I think that's a it's a really good point, Jonathan. Well, you're you're managing your brand. You're doing yeah. what we're talking about at the beginning of the onset of this call. And you know, corporations have mission, vision, and values. People have the same when they are proactive, like you're describing, and yeah. building a personal brand. Whenever I talk to somebody about building their personal brand, I treat the same frameworks that I do for corporations. Yeah. You know, and like you, we've worked with over 250 brands in the marketplace, you know, across every industry you can imagine, big, small, global, you know, multilingual, you name it. And it, as long as it's intentional, and that's the key, is what are those experiences going to be? And we use the term brand attributes. What are those attributes you associate that we want associated with the product, the service, or the company? Those are intentional and they're part of the marketing strategies that are put out there. And they should, and so those behaviors, those interactions, those messaging pieces, whatever those assets are that are building the brand up are framed and managed and consistent mm-hmm. in that process. And for individuals to be successful in sales, 
they have to be thinking about it as managing their personal brand mm. and aligning those brand behaviors with what the market drivers are. And you like to talk about what is the customer wants, right? And we always say, we use a simple analogy in our business and talk about customers purchase and motivate for only two reasons. It's they need it or they want it. Mm. It's left brain, right brain. Mm. It is never any more complex than that. Mm-hmm. And I will go to the mat on that with anybody who wants to challenge me on it. Mm-hmm. But you can break down every business decision based on, is it something I need or is it something I have to have, you know, that I, that I, that I want. And so you have to know your market or product or service accordingly to address their concerns because some are desires, you know, and some are, and some are less. And so you can think of it this way. I like to say, what keeps you up at night? It's because you're dreaming about it or you're stressed out about it <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. and you're losing sleep over it. Right. And that's a simple note. That's another way of envisioning that need or want. And I think from a salesperson, if you can figure out what there's keeping them up at night you, and you can speak to how you are going to help them achieve that and be part of that, then you're going to be valuable to them and you are not going to be selling them anything yeah. because they have already made the decision to buy. Yes. I also think it can be equally, I call that approaching from the negative and the positive. And there's a lot of psychology research that says that really about 50% of the population is promotion oriented and about 50% is more prevention oriented. And people will choose vocations best on that, you know, based on this. So you want your bridge engineers, your attorneys and your CPAs, they're going to be more prevention oriented because they're going to say, we are going to keep harm from happening. And that's it's awesome. risk management. Yeah. Don't yeah, want the bridge. That's to awesome. Fall down I mean, you want those people <laughs> doing that, right? But some people are more promotion. So I think equally, just to add to what you're saying, Jonathan, I think equally, um, you can, a person can begin to want what you're selling because you have painted such a beautiful picture of what's possible. So they didn't actually have an acute need, but over time of following you, they say, this person really loves selling. I have never met someone that loves selling so much. They actually believe you could enjoy this. And it starts to cultivate a desire that perhaps wasn't there before. And that's just part of our marketing and education. So it can be pain um, remediation, and it can also be vision casting that is hope for the better future. Or we go back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs and it's my self-actualization, right? I'm getting all the way to the very top of what I want. And you seem like a guide who can get me there. Exactly. I'm going to play a critical role in getting and making those dreams happen for you or, you know, letting you sleep better at night. I exactly. totally agree. Yeah. I mean, exactly. just, I think we're absolutely kind of saying it, just using a different approach. <laughs> yeah. And I like our that. backgrounds are so different. Yeah. Different but, yeah. 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 And I think that's good for listeners to kind of have all these contexts in their heads Yeah. in this process. But yeah. I, and I think that, the other thing I, I think is important, you touched on this kind of early on, is that to be really successful in sales, not only do you have to be just a fabulous person and be consistent in your delivery and all of that that we've touched on, but I think that you personally have to be inspired and believe in what you are truly delivering the market. Yeah. So can you touch base on yeah. where companies maybe miss with that? Yes, <laughs> I love this topic. I love this topic. Okay, because... What I have found fascinating with those hundreds of different companies, you know, that I solicited for in the past, what I find so fascinating is that what might be boring to me, just outright boring to someone else, it just makes their heart sing. And um, 
I think, I think, for example, Jonathan and I have a have a mutual friend who is all about financial reporting. I mean, this would be like my worst job ever for me. The level of detail that's required and the level of attentiveness to detail, literally to the database, would just I would lose my mind. I mean, the hours of working by yourself figuring this out, it's not a good fit for me. But to hear him talk about his work, it makes his heart sing because he derives ridiculous joy in helping people make their current accounting systems actually spit out the data that they really want to make good business decisions. And in my book, In How Good Humans Sell, I talk about one of my favorite clients that illustrates this point also was a hot tub manufacturer. And I'm kind of a germaphobe. And so I'm not a real fan of hot tubs <laughs> in public places because you just can't put enough chlorine in them as far as I'm concerned. So they're not my favorite thing. But I want a hot tub every time I spend time with this guy because just like Walt Disney, this guy who manufactures hot tubs, he knows he doesn't sell huge buckets of warm water, right? He, he sells sells. a way for people to be together and have an experience. Mm -hmm. And so watching him in action, literally on his manufacturing shop floor was the most awesome experience for me to see this example played out, Jonathan, because his love for it was infectious. You can hear it in my voices. I just literally remember being with him. And so I think it's interesting because almost anything can be something a person could be passionate about if they understand the real value that it brings and it's their thing. Yeah. 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 I like to tell people you're never selling what you think you're selling. Yeah. You know, and you have to, you know, when you sell, uh, we use, we use a, a model called a brand pyramid and It's a simple analogy. You can think of the cheap real estate at the bottom of the mountain, right? There's lots of it. It's plentiful. There's no view. It's mosquito-y, whatever it might be. (laughs) At the bottom bottom of the the brand pyramid tends to be what we call the features and the functions Mm -hmm. and the core competencies of the company. It's frankly the easiest place for most people to start their sales conversations. Unfortunately, it's the least valuable real estate they have to work with. But they don't know any, they don't know any better. That's and so right. you have to, you know, so I like to say, uh, we call those the F words. Your mama told you not to say them. <laughs> you know? Featured function or what is it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so you have to get above the tree line, right? Uh, to get a better view, to get past the mosquitoes, to have the real estate appraising value go up, you know, uh, to the water's a little cleaner, the air's a little fresher. And so if you go up the mountain, you become more strategic. And so when you start, if you think of that analogy I threw out there early on, if it's something that they need or want that keeps them is the moon and the stars and the skies, right? The, the desire and where their dreams are all at. Well, the closest you can get to the sky is the summit, the top, the top of the mountain. Therefore, if you start your conversation at the summit and build backwards and support it with all these things that are lower, more tactical on the mountain, then you've made your argument, but you've also held their attention from the yes. day one. If yes. you try to tell your story from the bottom of the mountain up, it is an exhausting hike up that mountain. Yes. To get to the strategic value propositions that you need to make in the marketplace. Yes. To, to answer their questions, to get them to get them inspired and happy and motivated. You know. So yes. if I'm the hot tub sales guy, he's spot on. He's not talking about the tub, right? That's the thing at the bottom of the mountain. 
He's talking about the thing that they really aspire to, that they would love to have. A whole bunch of friends having a great time. And he's just giving them the means to make that happen. Yes. So starting his conversation at the summit, that's how we know, and building backwards. And eventually, you do get to the budgets, the, the buttons and the and the widgets and the features yes. and the functions. You had this many jets or this many seats or, yeah. 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 But you never, you never want to start those conversations at the bottom of the mountain. And Jonathan, to to round this out back to the 1% example for a sales professional's, say, a LinkedIn post, Mm -hmm. the way you would differentiate and what I I would do if I sold for this gentleman based on this conversation we had is my post would say things like, nobody grows up thinking they'll become the kind of parent that sits at the restaurant with everyone staring at their cell phone and not talking to each other at the table. Nobody aspires to never have real conversations with their teenagers. You fall into that, you evolve into that, and you wake up one day and find out you don't really talk in your family. What if there were a way for your family to connect where devices didn't make sense? And then you have a picture of a happy family where the teenagers are actually there and you're and you're sitting together in this giant hot tub, yeah. or you could go after, or you could go after it with this. This is where the I want to be the house where the teenagers bring their friends, right? We want to be that kind of house. That's t- to me. That's top of summit aspirational, and then you drill down to well, how many butts and seats do we want in the hot tub? So how big is this? Oh, yeah. thing? Right. What's it going to cost? And what I'm saying is, in the one percent, most people are posting about the butts in seats and the manufacturer and hardly anybody is saying, wouldn't this be awesome? I can help you get there. And yet we just, like neither of us saw hot tubs and we just did this in two minutes, right? (laughs) That's the summit, right? And that's what to me is the epitome of that professional saying, I'm a guide who can give you and help you decide Right. What is the right version of this for you? Yeah, yeah. be a Sherpa. Tell them what the mountaintop looks like. Yeah. <laughs> they want to go there. Hashtag <laughs> be a Sherpa. That's exactly. perfect. Be a Sherpa. That's, Sherpa. That's great. That's awesome. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, look, this is, I've learned, I've learned a ton. You guys, this is great. Um, I do want to, to kind of ask you one quick question on the way out, Catherine. Um, you know, you have your book, uh, How Good Humans Sell. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about like who that book is for and maybe what to expect from that book and even maybe where some of our listeners could maybe find it if they're interested? Thank you so much. Yes. So right now the book is available on Amazon in paperback and Kindle. I'm sorry for my Audible listeners. It's not on Audible quite yet, but it's on paperback and Kindle. And, um, and you know, I will tell you, Chris, I've been really pleasantly surprised. The subtitle of the book is The Proven Path to B2B Sales Success. And I really did write the B2B business owner who sells or sales teams in mind with it. That being said, I have had opportunities to talk about it with nonprofits um, and actually with um, direct sales, multi-level marketing companies, because especially chapter four, which is about not giving up (laughs) in selling and and how how you continue to deliver value in ways that allow you to come back again and again and keep trying so that you don't give up on reaching people. It has resonated with people more universally than actually I was expecting. It's been very delightful to me 
to see that there have been enough broad principles that have been useful to just about anybody in selling, but that product or service company that's selling into the hard to get into business was my initial target. Yeah. And and I'll, I'll say this, I'll add a little piece that the, 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 what I've read of it, 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 you know, I'm not directly in sales, but there's a lot of just takeaways for, for me in, in consulting with, um, with clients and trying to, to, um, to, I guess, get them to see the value in, in what it is that we're providing and everything. So mm-hmm. I think there's, there's something to be taken away from this, um, you know, for, for almost anybody. So Catherine, Jonathan, I, I can't thank you enough for your time. This was really uh, informative and a great session. So thank you guys very much. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks Catherine for joining us. Thanks Chris for managing it. Appreciate yeah. it so much. Yeah. Bye guys. Bye-bye. Bye now. That's it for this edition of Solving for B. If you enjoyed the episode, check out brandextract.com for more content on all things branding and marketing. Be sure to also follow us on our social channels like Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks again for tuning in to Solving for B.